1: i'm kathy worthington welcome to our latest episode of late boomers our guest today is cindy mcgonigal animal communicator and psychic who helps people communicate with their pets she is the author of the books garden notes from the nature divas and queen's queen Dee's fairy recipes
2: and i'm mary elkins cindy is also a psychic medium who is a catalyst for awakening people's ability to communicate with guides, angels, their highest consciousness, and with nature. Welcome,
3: Cindy. Hi. Glad to be here with you both and your audience, of course. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to have you.
1: Yeah, very glad. You started out after college working for the Denver Museum of Natural History. Tell us about your background and how that career came to be for you.
3: That's kind of interesting. You know, my dad, uh, growing up, was in the military, in the Navy. And so we moved around. I went to 13 schools in 13 years, in fact. Whoa. So I got to experience a lot of interesting things. And one of the things that I was fascinated with was plants. When we lived in Hawaii, it was my job to take care of the plants. And unbeknownst to me, um, some of the plants that were on the hillside where we lived, actually had little stories that were attached to the Minahunis. And those are like the invisible people of Hawaii that do magical things. So I was always intrigued with, you know, magic, mysticism and that kind of thing. So when it came to college, I decided to have a degree in anthropology. In fact, when I was 15, my uh, high school student uh, teacher asked me, what would you like to do when you grow up? And I said, I wanted to do underwater archaeology. Wow. Yeah. I, I am a scuba diver, uh, but I have not done underwater archaeology. <laughs> so with my college degree, I knew I would work for a museum. OK. And so my boyfriend in college became my first husband and he was from Denver. So I said, OK, let's go see what Denver's like. OK. So immediately I called up the museum and I said, Hi. You know, I have a degree in anthropology. I want to work in the anthropology department. They were like, "Well, we don't have any openings right now, but you could be a volunteer." And I said, "No, I have to earn money. I can't do that." So, in between, you know, temporary jobs, right? I uh, saw a little, a little want ad in the paper for what was called the plant modeler. And and it was at the museum, so I said, I'm just going to go in and apply for this. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to figure it out, and I'm going to make this happen. So uh, one of the things, and this was advertised nationally, okay, and I'm all of 21 years old, right? (laughs) And so um, my waterbed had soaked all my art from college. Oh, no. So the only thing I had to bring to the interview, okay, was a little pine needle basket. That I had learned to make with an 86-year-old woman in Santa Barbara when I had taken off a quarter from school. And I, unbeknownst to me, when I went for my interview, okay, in the Denver Museum of Natural History, the person who was head of exhibits saw the basket. She said, you know, if you can make this, I'm sure you can do this job. But I didn't realize they actually sold pine needle baskets in the same style in the gift court. In the gift Uh, area of the museum so the doors opened wide okay and then came the true test right everybody else that got hired had like high degrees like master of fine arts right and I was 10 years younger than everybody else so they always said to me oh you're so young what do you know right and it was like Mm -hmm. okay but uh, she also knew that in my background I had taught pine needle basketry uh, you know, to, uh, adults. And she said, you know, I'd like you to uh, consider running the volunteer program for the department. And I said, sure. I like people. And so that gave me the opportunity to really get to know community people that really have big hearts that like to be museum volunteers. So I started, you know, running that portion along with my, uh, doing the actual job. And so one of the things that happened was the head of the department says to me, all right, I would like you to go in the paint room and mix these colors up. And it was like, hmm, okay, how am I gonna do this? And so I made a pledge to God that if I could do this, I would promise to help other people never be afraid of art again, huh. okay? And so I, I have trained a couple hundred people over my lifetime to uh, volunteer in different museum capacities. And so that's how I ended up at the museum. That's what a wonderful great story. And 16 years later, or not, excuse me, 16 exhibits later, um, I got laid off and I formed my own business called Botanic Reproductions, LLC, and did uh, private contracts for uh, US Fish and Wildlife Service and various museums across the US.
1: Huh. Wonderful.
3: Yeah. Uh,
2: that's you making
1: were... lemonade out of lemons, right?
2: Absolutely talking about silver linings, of course. Um, mm-hmm. you, uh, you, you spoke a bit about how much you loved plants and, and how they spoke to you. Tell us how, more about how that evolved and also about your books, Garden Notes and Queen D's Fairy Recipe book.
3: I was hired by the Academy of Sciences in uh, Golden Gate Park to help them redesign their North American Hall. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. And so one of the things, you know, that I got to do is work with all these different scientists and things like that. And um, then when my contract was ending, I decided, well, you know what? Um, I had made a pledge to God to work with the living, you know, living plants, living people, things like that. Right. And so um, I decided to go back to school in horticulture. So I went to school at the city college there in horticulture. And during that time, I had five hotel accounts that I was doing the plant maintenance on. And I was kind of like Martha Stewart for these hotels. (laughs) My first assignment was, because I got hired close to Christmas time, was to decorate the lobby. And so, you know, oh, my God, major, major hotel. And here, here's the, here's all the ornaments go to it. Right. So a lot of times in my life, you know, I've been given opportunities to actually use my creativity and believe in myself. And I just keep moving forward. So uh, when I uh, moved to Portland, Oregon with my soon-to-be second husband, um, he had a job in a graphics company and I had a lot of free time. And so I we bought our first house and I started to work on the yard because I love growing plants. And there's one part of my yard that never grew anything. And so I just, I thought, well... I don't know what I'm going to do. And I heard this voice in my head says, plant it this way. And I thought, hmm, what's that? (laughs) Who am I hearing? (laughs) Where's that coming from? Because I have worked with all these scientists for so many years, you know. And, uh, yeah, I had gained a lot of knowledge about plants and animals, but uh, never hearing these little voices in my head that weren't mine. So I went to the bookstore, you know, the metaphysical bookstore, you know, and I started looking up other people that were hearing voices in their head about gardening. And I ran across some books. And uh, in the book, the author's technique was to use a pendulum. Do you know what a pendulum is? Tell us. Yes. Okay. A pendulum can be actually made out of anything. Mine was first made out of a a fishing lure, you know, a weight with a piece of uh, juke. And basically, you just steady the pendulum uh, from a hard surface, pull it up, and then you ask your higher self, show me the direction of yes and show me the direction of no, and then you determine those two things. Well, that was the technique that was in the book to ask plants questions and get connected to what's called the overlighting deva of your property. For every property, there is one being of light that is in charge of the energetics of the property. So when I do land readings for people, you know, privately, I just tune into their property address and then tune into the being, and then I have access to the information on that nature spirit level to be able to communicate what plants are in harmony with you and your land, the colors that you should be bringing in for the season ahead, mm-hmm. and um, what plants would be good for your family. You know, sometimes you ha- you need to make flower essences or medicines from the plants or teas or something like that. So my first book introduces you to the nature team. And it talks about how uh, nature actually works. So energetically, on the tallest peak, wherever you live, resides a landscape angel, okay? And that landscape angel is in charge of the energies, basically, of the area that surrounds it. That usually works with um, a whole team, I call them the nature team, that includes nature spirits, include fairies and elementals and gnomes and things like that. And so my journey with that was I decided one day that I would um, like to have a fairy for a friend. And so I asked for a fairy to come to me um, after I was meditating. And uh, she gave me her name. And because I'm human, I garbled it all up. And from that point on, she says, just call me Queen D. That that began our relationship. And in in meditation, after I would, you know, I do gratitude after I meditate and I would ask, um, Queen Dee, do you have a message for me? And then she would like, give me all these recipes. And I thought, okay, this is nice, but what is it? Where is this leading me? Right? And that became the book, Queen Dee's Fairy Recipe Book. So it's it's chock full of fairy wisdom in the form of fairy legends that connect you with the The plants of the Pacific Northwest, primarily because that's where I was living, and the trees and um, what they call color harmonics. Uh, The nature spirits are always wanting balanced energies on your property. So if you can plant uh, using native plants, that's a very calm vibe. And as you combine your perennial colors, you know, that rotate with the season, you know, basically flowering during the different seasons. And you combine it with the trees and your annuals, they're looking for what's called a complete symphony of of harmonics. And the fairies listen to the harmonics of your garden and help you to keep things balanced.
2: Oh, I would love my own fairy. I live in the trees, by the way. You do. I do. I will show you pictures later. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but also, would you elaborate a bit on how you started and about your garden sanctuary business?
3: Okay. So these days, everybody needs to have a sacred space, whether they do it indoors or out. Because of how things are moving so quickly, we need a place where we can be centered and calm. All right. So I always encourage people to bring in plants to help harmonize the environment. The sanctuary design has to do with what you're attracted to as the person who's living there and what plants can be grown and then the arrangement. But because some people have small apartments, right? Some people have acreage, right? So for people who have large pieces of property, what I like to do is I like to show them where energy vortexes are on their property. These are places where you can feel much more connected to nature than other places. And the same kind of goes in your house. Um, You know, I use a little bit of feng shui, okay? And hopefully you have like a meditation space that's calm and peaceful. And then I teach people how to do what's called a grid, a sacred grid, using crystals that are... um, you know, more or less cleared and charged with the purpose of holding the energies in, in harmony and protection and calmness and peace. And from there, you know, it's, it's basically uh, working with the client to help them to feel that they, to make the space theirs, you know, what do they like? What, what do they need? How will they use it? That kind of thing. And um, then it builds. The energy builds as you work in the room or the space to keep you calm and balanced. It's just a place to decompress and then kind of pull yourself back together as you go back out into the world doing what you do best. Hmm.
1: Fantastic. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you when and how did you discover your ability to communicate psychically, psychically excuse me, with animals and how has that evolved?
3: Well, you know, I've, I've had pets my whole life, and I had a couple of Egyptian pharaoh hounds. I was intrigued by Egypt, of course. Wow. And the first time I was introduced to the, uh, the breed, it was like, I have to have these dogs.
1: <laughs> ah. <laughs> you know. I've never met one in person. Yeah, I either. They're beautiful.
3: They, they are. They're a very ancient breed, you know, used in Egypt. Primarily to watch over the houses at night, you know, and they are not, you know, so the Egyptian Anubis is the statue that, you know, most associate with the breed, but they're actually kind of like a, a chestnut color, you know, Uh and they have a white tip on their tail. That's how you can distinguish them. So uh, with these animals, you know, they brought it because they, they are hounds, they like to run. Right. And so, uh, you know, the. The myth is, don't ever let them off the leash; you'll never get them back, right? (laughs) Uh. But but I don't take it like that, you know. And so I would take them to the wild places up in the gorge, the Columbia River Gorge, and we would go off. And then, uh, you know, they would come back, and we would just have this really good, close connection with nature and just being free, things like that. But the hounds are very; a hound is a stubborn breed, you know, very stubborn. And so to get across my thoughts to the hound, because they didn't always listen to my voice, I would have to send them messages with my mind. And they seemed to respond much quicker and more willing by listening that way than any other way. And soon they were talking back to me. Mm -hmm. And so I was listening more carefully to them. And that's kind of what I encourage everybody to do is to open up your ability to actually send and receive messages from the heart, you know, your heart to your pet's heart. And then fast forward to not too long ago, I was living in Ventura where I have my second office and I was awakened by a big giant tiger at my bedside in spirit, of course. And the tiger says to me, you have to come down and help us. And I said to the tiger, how am I supposed to help you? And the tiger says, we need you to do work in fundraising and help fund uh, this organization to be able to feed the animals, the large cats. Hmm. So I decided, "Hmm, okay, sounds like another adventure that spirit wants me to have. Uh And so I decided on a wing and a prayer, I would... um, take my boyfriend and off we go to reestablish ourselves in the Palm Desert area. And here I am. And so what I do now is I work with Animal Samaritans. It's a no kill shelter Mm
1: -hmm. here in
3: a a place called Thousand Palms. And there it's not a thousand palms, everybody. It's actually the desert off Ramon Road. And they're a small organization. And so it's it was COVID, right? So I, 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 I had called them up and, and asked them to be a volunteer, and they were like, no, you have to fill out this form. Nobody ever contacted me, so I just thought, I'm just going to show up, right? So before, uh-huh. uh, I go to the door, they won't let me in, right, because it's COVID. And the guy, the guy oh. says, yeah, we have too many people in here already. So I said, okay, he goes, just go to your car, and then uh, we'll wave you in. I thought, mm, okay. Okay, so I get in my car and I decide I'm just going to talk to all the animals in the shelter and see if they want me to come in. So I did. I just quietly introduced myself to the animals. I told them I'm an animal communicator here to help you and listen to you to be able to communicate your story of how you came to the shelter and what you're looking for in a forever home. And so they, they, they said, come on in. So I get to the door. Right. And unbeknownst to me, the entire staff is sitting there facing me, right? (laughs) So (laughs) I I go in there and I say, hi, I'm Cindy McGonigal and I'm an animal communicator and I'd like to uh, help you here. And they're they're going, well, you have to fill out the volunteer form. And I said, well, I tried, but nobody contacted me. But one thing that just happened was, I asked all the animals and they wanted me to come in. So here I am. From that day forward, I've been a volunteer there, and uh I keep a little notebook just like a little doctor would and i I greet every animal, and I usually do a little bit of Reiki with them, okay, so Reiki is you know an energy exchange. I look at it like that. I'm a Reiki master, I've been given the master symbols, and what I do is i when I first meet an animal, I'll sit outside the door where they could see me, ask it permission if I could run some Reiki to calm them down, to kind of have a meeting of the minds and of my heart. And so I open my heart up and I make a bridge of love from my heart to theirs. And then we start and I give them a little bit of Reiki. And um, as I get to know them, you know, I go inside the rooms with them and um, they'll tell me using my animal communication skills of listening, where they hurt and where to focus the, the Reiki. And so, you know, sometimes and, and I I keep notes on what the animals tell me so that I can give the notes to the animal, the, the people there, the supervisor and the staff. They can read my notes and learn more about what the pets need at, from the point of view of the pet and how they came to the shelter. Because oftentimes people don't always tell the truth about how the animal came into their possession and why they have to give it up. And sometimes um, animals um, really have, uh, you know, quite a story to tell and what they're looking for, what they're afraid of, you know, going forward, you know, not just being in the shelter, but, you know, what they're looking for in a forever home, which may not be very evident based on, you know, just the simple interactions that we have with the animal in the shelter. Uh So over time, you build um, a relationship with the animal and and, um, soon they become your teacher. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And soon they start laying their paw on you. Mm -hmm. And that's when the magic really happens. Mm -hmm. And, And they start loving on you and the love never stops. Oh, yeah. Kathy and I each have our
2: dogs near us, and we should remind our listeners that we record on Zoom to facilitate having our guests be comfortable wherever they're based. But, Cindy, would you like to tell us a little about each of our dogs? Mine is Charlie, and
3: Kathy's is Ringo. Okay, so, Mary, we're going to start with um, Charlie, okay? Okay. So, obviously, you know what Charlie looks like. I do. okay.
2: He's a golden retriever for our listeners.
3: Yes. And he, um, she sent me a picture. So I, on my phone and I often have clients that will always just send me a picture because I like to see the animal's eyes when I'm doing these kinds of uh, interactions and he's very special and all right. So I would like you to ask a question of him. All right. And remember, the way the animal communication really works is the first thought back that you receive in your mind will be your pet's answer, okay? I will be a facilitator. I will be listening as well. But I love to help uh, pet owners, you know, with their beloveds to have and strengthen their relationship with their own animals one at a time. So um, the first thing I would say is let's just call his name Go ahead. Charlie. Now ask him a question. Please say it out loud so the listeners can hear. First of all, Charlie is 12 and a half. And Charlie,
2: I would love to know more than anything what I can do for you to make you feel better, to make you feel younger, to have the energy that you had a few years back. What can I do
3: for you? Okay, so what did you hear? Did you hear, feel, or or get anything? First thought. Okay, so pra- uh, this is what he told me. All right, he said the first thing he's saying is arnica. Do you know arnica?
2: Oh, okay,
3: yeah. hmm What yeah. kind? Well, you're going to have to ask your a vet probably. Okay, to give you the the combination that would be the best for him. All right. So, um, he's showing me that you could just rub it on you and then rub his, uh, it looks like his joints are a little stiff
1: mm-hmm.
3: and that's where he'd like it, especially it looks like on his left front paw, that joint, that knee joint. Okay. So the other thing that he was asking for, and maybe you already do this is glucosamine. Yep. I do goes, but mom, it tastes terrible.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I give him chewy pills, he likes those, yeah. And he's like, How about a little peanut butter
3: on it? Oh, okay. <laughs> so, do you have like a little dog pool for him? I he do. He's showing me that he really likes that to be able to soothe his and take the weight off the joints, you know. Does go ahead. Oh, he. He's a
2: semi-water dog. He will go in there because I throw treats in the water, but then he gets right out.
3: That's okay. It's the act of getting in and out, you know. And he still likes to play, you know. You know what he's saying? He's really saying, you know, that he wants to write a book with you. Did you know that? Whoa. I've thought about it. Mm -hmm. He has a lot to say, okay. uh, This may... Okay. It's going to be a little sentimental. Okay. Are you ready for this? Yeah. He goes, you've been such a good mom to me. I just want other dogs and other dog moms to know how to be a good mom and you know how to do it the best. Oh, my goodness. I love you with my whole heart. From the moment I laid eyes on you, you I knew you were the one for me. He goes, I'll never, ever, ever forget or leave you. Okay. So... I teach people how to uh, connect with their pets on the other side when they're ready, okay? And he, and he has, um, you know, the cap, like when you get graduated from uh, college, the motorboard as they're called, he's yeah. wearing one of those, okay? And when I see that on an animal, I know that that animal is a teacher and a wise one, okay? And um, he's going to teach you so many things, that you never thought possible, and that's your book. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Mary.
2: Thank you, Cindy. I, just as an aside, I remember, I think it was John Steinbeck wrote a book called Travels with Charlie. There we go. And yeah. and I've often thought about repeating that. Yeah.
1: I forgot about that book. Yeah, that is the title. It
2: stayed with me mm-hmm. forever, and I think I must have read it I can't even recall how many years ago. Mm-hmm.
3: Now it's time for you to connect the animal world with people. Okay, so let's see if I can pull up uh, Kathy's animals. Okay, so I don't know if you can still see me, but you can, yes, I can hear you. we can. Oh, okay, so I am looking now at, at uh, Ringo, your pet dog. And I would like you to also uh, call Ringo. Kathy? Ringo? And ask him a question, please.
1: Ringo, I would love to know where on your body it hurts the most that's making you limp. Is it your back? Is it your leg, your shoulder? I would really like to know that. Uh,
3: it. He's showing me his right shoulder, okay? So one of the things that you could do is give him a massage. Do you do that already? I
1: do. I do.
3: Okay. So uh, let's see. He's saying that he'd like to have more pillows to sleep with. Uh (laughs) Does he sleep on your bed?
1: No, he sleeps on his dog bed. And he has two of them in the room so he changes from one dog bed to the other and they're very cushy and he puts his they have the big pillow around the outside of it so he puts his head on the outside and there are a lot of toys in the bed that he cuddles with
3: hmm he's saying you can remove some of those toys they get in my way mm-hmm.
1: They mm-hmm. Turn, i take them out pretty often
3: he goes i'll take the ones that i want back in Yes. He's saying some of his teeth hurt him. Have have you had a checkup? Wow.
1: Yes. Last summer, he had to have nine teeth removed. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But he's, he's been, he was much happier camper after that. Oh, yeah. He didn't need those nine teeth at all. He was really much happier without them.
3: Well, yeah. I mean, we all need healthy teeth and healthy gums. Yeah. Okay, but he's saying, uh, do you ever make cooked carrots for him? No. He'd like cooked carrots. Did he used to eat raw carrots?
1: No, he won't eat them. Really? No, he hates, he, he doesn't like most vegetables and fruits. Contrary to Charlie. who Charlie likes, likes everything, but <laughs> Ringo won't. If you offer him something like that, he'll just drop it on the ground. In fact, he won't even, even eat um dog biscuits that people want to give him and stuff. He won't touch weird kind of anything that's kind of baked or he doesn't like that stuff. He likes lamb jerky and dried chicken and really specific things that don't have other ingredients in them. Oh, good for him. But I can try him with the cooked carrots.
3: Well, you know, I suggested cook because of his teeth, but um, he's also showing me shaved carrot, you know, not a lot, you know, just something a little bit. He says, I'll eat them. Not a lot. Don't make a whole plate of them, though. You know, just oh. to spill them out. You know, just a tiny, you know, kind of like an hors d'oeuvre. You know what I mean?
1: Okay. Mm.
3: Does he like hot dogs?
1: Yes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's the other thing he's showing me on the plate.
1: Little... <laughs> yeah, he always gets one for his birthday. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Okay. Oh. He was the ring bearer in uh, my daughter's <laughs> oh. wedding in February. Oh, right. And okay. so he had a really fancy little thing that he wore with the ring on his back in a white fancy harness with a white matching leash. He was pretty proud of himself for that.
3: That's right. He goes like this, get a clue. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's kind of sensitive, you know, he's kind of reserved too, you know, he's saying to me like this. All right, go on to the horse. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, Ringo, thank you so much. And Charlie, thank you so much. Now we're going to go over to the horse world. Okay. So I'm looking at a picture now of Otto. Otto is very handsome. Oh, my. So when I tuned into Otto, one of the things that I asked Otto, what would you like to share? And this is what he said. And he said it over and over and over. So I'm going to start our conversation with this. And so Kathy, just, I want you just to take this um, as what he's really wanting you to know. Okay. And he's saying that he really does not like the groomer that takes care of him. What I love about Otto, though, is he's very intense and he's very quick. So what I've noticed with horses when I'm communicating with them, you know, just... You just have to send the message silently to them, and they pick it up, and they send their answer right back. Mm -hmm. So you want to practice that for a minute, Kathy? Sure. Ask the question out loud so we can all hear it, Uh, but, but in your thoughts, I want you to direct it to him, okay? So you would say something like this, Otto, and then ask the question so we can hear it. And then first thought back in your mind after you an- ask the question will be his response. And it, let me warn you, it comes really quick.
1: Okay. Otto, why do you so frequently not want to do your work? What'd you get?
3: He said, know. I'm stubborn.
1: Oh. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping for a better answer. <laughs> <laughs> like more complete, like... Something doesn't feel good or something, but I think no. he feels, I think he feels fine.
3: Yeah. What, what he's saying that would work better for him is if you, may, you ask him to help you with it.
1: I have done. Yes. And, to keep and I it, will continue.
3: And then just ask him, you know, um, what do you need and how would you like it handled? Give him the choice and then practice this exercise. And you have to trust what you get. And the more you practice, the easier it gets. Because you will see the reaction from, you know, Otto going forward, you know. And if you don't see it or you don't feel it or it feels awkward still, just, you know, pet him and send him love and just say, please keep trying, I'm human, and I will get it. Can you talk a little bit
2: more about how people connect and can connect with their pets who've passed
3: away? Okay, so sometimes uh, before the animal passes, people are really feeling kind of guilty and not knowing what to do and feeling like, you know, that, you know, they they, they know the pet needs to go, but they don't want to lose the pet. So, in those circumstances, you know, um, I like to encourage people to thank the animal for what it's given in its lifetime to their life, you know what I mean? And to help them to understand that maybe at first, after the animal crosses over, it may be a little bit of time before the animal um, can make a direct connection with them because sometimes we in in the grieving process, you know, it takes time. And yeah, and the other thing is, believe it or not, a lot of people keep the ashes of their um, beloved pets and don't bury them. And truly, it's in my opinion that they don't get to go, they can't ascend as far as they could if they were, some of the ashes were put back into the earth. So Mm -hmm. I always encourage people to at least bury some ashes or spread them, you know, in the air or wherever that, you know, you feel comfortable in doing it, you know, to honor the spirit, to go forward into the light as far as it can. And there's a big, huge difference in being able to communicate with your animal on the other side when it's fully released. And uh, it makes it a lot easier for the communication to flow easier. Okay.
1: So someone's holding onto the ashes, they're holding too tight to the previous existence for the animal and not letting them free, right?
3: Right. They're, they haven't quite let go, and the animal needs to go, just like we do, back to the earth in some form, you know.
2: I have both of my last two dogs' ashes in my bedroom where they used to sleep.
3: So you might consider um, taking a, cup, uh, a few of their ashes and just sprinkling them in a sacred place in your yard or somewhere, you know, um, that you feel good, and then try opening that up to them again and seeing if it, the communication is any easier. And then once that's done, okay, once the animal knows that you're willing to and want to communicate with them, you get to practice what we were just practicing a little stronger. And this is where a little bit of clairvoyance comes in. And as a psychic medium, you know, when I'm doing readings, you know, I'm able to see situations, you know, in my what I call my mind's eye, you know, and I can see them with open eyes or closed eyes. But when you're first learning this, I suggest that you close your eyes when you wanna communicate with a pet on the other side to um, kind of close out the distractions that might be coming into your mind and know that you've made a a connection through your heart to that pet. And then ask the pet uh, for a message or ask the pet a question. You'd be amazed what information animals can do One of the things I teach in my virtual workshops is, I mean, one of the modules is family dynamics. And it's interesting that uh, pets on the other side often come into these family gatherings where you sit down and you bring all the live pets together and the family members. And you kind of have like a little powwow. You talk about what's going on, any changes, like if you're moving or traveling or if they're going to be staying somewhere else so that they know what's coming up. OK, and when an animal passes to the other side, it's I like it's the, the animal that's passed to spend a little time in the house so that the other animals know, you know, what's going on and have a chance to really see and feel and smell what what has happened before taking them to have their a- made into ashes or whatever it is that you're going to do with the animal, you know, mm-hmm. that way they're not looking for the pet wondering where it was and getting a little confused as to what just happened. You know, they they recognize death. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I okay. wasn't able to do that with my last one because he was very sick and I had to take him to the doctor to have him put down. And, and Ringo never could figure it out for the longest time.
3: Yeah. But now, uh, after practicing, you know you know you can connect with that pet on the other side, and so can Ringo. You can ask that pet to come and sit with you, just like you sit with Ringo, and um, have a conversation. And remember, <laughs> when your other pets go to the other side, oftentimes, and humans too, are greeted by the animals on the other side.
1: And a whole string of dogs. That can greet him. <laughs>
3: Talking about Clubhouse, where you
2: work as a psychic medium. And we'd love to hear about your work as a catalyst for awakening people's ability to communicate with spiritual guides and angels.
3: Okay. So, um, Spirit, Source, Creator, asked me to form a club. Uh, the first club that I formed was called Grow Your Intuition. And from that, it evolved into a new club called Intuition Activation on Clubhouse. And for all of you that don't know uh, about Clubhouse, it's an all audio app that actually brings over a half a million people, 24 seven together in different rooms where we can share our wisdom and learn from others and collaborate. So as a spiritual teacher and psychic medium. I love to empower people. I love people to awaken to their gifts that they have. I call them gifts, talents, and abilities. So one of the things that I do, if I do a reading for you, I would ask you to send me a picture of your palms, just the center of your palms, because I'm also a palmist. And what I do there is I look at, I look at the hands and In terms of the lines and educate you how to look at your own lines to see the changes that happen in your hands and show you what your soul wants you to bring through in this lifetime. And we open up to that and then I combine it sometimes with your pets. And so I by looking at your palms, I can help guide you in a way to encourage you, um, for instance, you know. I really like to look at what's called the fate line, the interaction of the fate line and the headline. And uh, those show me kind of your path here. You know, what your destiny, opportunities, and uh, fate is bringing forward for you. Then the other thing I like to do is I like to look at the heart line and watch, look for past lives. And, uh, you know, past lives show up as part of your heart line coming back down. The heart line is the top line in your, in your palm it comes back down and strikes the lifeline and where I see that happening more and more with my clients is, uh, sometimes depending on how old you are, where you are in your life, it's past life lovers coming back to reunite with you. Sometimes it's just past life friends that are here to support you and they're coming in to help you with your business or whatever it is that you're wanting to do. And, um, So here in Clubhouse, even though it's an all audio app, what I do is in the intuition activation, I go through what I call the realms, and I help people to understand that they too are intuitive by um, taking a little meditation journey. And I use singing bowls and my voice to guide you into a visualization where you meet parts of yourself that you didn't even know you had. Um, that strengthen your intuitive abilities, your clairaudience, the ability to listen and receive messages from angels and guides, and for your ability to be clairvoyant, to be able to close your eyes and see images that relate to the experience that's your experience here on life, in life. And to trust the visions that you see as messages from your angels and your guides. And then I always encourage people to um, meditate and to be grateful and to stay positive and to join together. And when I'm in Clubhouse, what I love is I love co-creating what I like a group energy within the room so that everybody's connected. And then um, there are some really remarkable souls that show up in the rooms that have incredible abilities to connect with other people through sound. And that's called light language. And so I encourage them to speak the light language. These are star codes of light that unify all of us on the planet and activate as well some of the talents that we have that we're just remembering that we had. You know, we have an opportunity here to be able to kind of go above the fray, go above the chaos, and to stay in peace and harmony if you're willing to do the work. And the work is to form your family of light, is what I call it. These are your guardian angel. Everybody has a guardian angel, follows you around as a soul. You're never alone. Hopefully, you have a deep connection to source or creator. And of course, reaching for your highest consciousness. So the other uh, club that I have is Animal Communicators. And that meets on the second and fourth Thursdays of every month. And uh, what we do is we focus on your ability to get messages from your animals. I do many readings during the first, um, the second, uh, the first of the meetings of the month and then the second meeting of the month, the fourth Thursday of the month at four o'clock Pacific time is when we focus on uh, gathering our energies as healers on the planet and use uh, Reiki, which are symbols that uh, transmit remotely healing vibrations, and I focus first on your pets with you so it comes through your heart comes to your pet and then goes outward to your city to your state to all the states in the United States and then to the entire planet. Sometimes I go as deep as any animal that ever came onto the planet any animal in spirit any animal that will come into our lives and and touches many lives, both human and animals, in this healing session. And that my rooms last about an hour, sometimes a little less, but I invite everybody to come to that. So it's Intuition Activation on Tuesdays at 11 o'clock Pacific time, and there's room for everybody. Thank you
1: oh that's so wonderful Mm -hmm. and i was fascinated by a line in your clubhouse bio my bio is horribly incomplete but i know now i need to get in there and fix it because everybody's got such interesting bios when you go on there and start following people but you've got a line in there that says you give energy vortex tours of palm springs and palm desert what is that all about that sounds fantastic
3: okay so you know being on the spiritual path I'm actually a minister as well. Um, I can sense uh, energy vortexes in the earth. So Source has put me on top of the San Andreas Fault. Okay. Yes. And I'm also sitting on top of a giant aquifer. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. And so um, when I first came down here, my parents lived down here for a while in Palm Springs. And so... I've been in the area off and on for since the late 80s, but just recently moved down here. And so I started to uh, go explore nature a little bit. And when I go to explore nature, I tap into uh, not only the energy of the place, but to the surroundings. Like I will listen to the trees, and I'll, I'll ask the overlighting deva of that particular place to connect with me and if it has messages it wants me to relay out and I do those on my YouTube channel as earth energies and so you can follow along what's going on and sometimes I'll transmit them from different places but when you come to the desert to have a private VIP with me um, I take you to at least three vortex areas one that's sacred to the native peoples to connect you with your ancestors to the sacredness of the earth here in, in the vortex area. And another one is to connect you with the palms, which are significant in holding the energies of the earth. And third, sometimes to Joshua tree or an area near there where you can expand your own relationship with the stones of the earth and your higher
1: very magical place. I love Joshua Tree. Oh, my gosh. Fell in love with it in high yeah. school when we went camping there. Beautiful. I, did,
2: I am, too. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's it's uh, like otherworldly there.
1: Tell us about your practice of Reiki healing for people and their pets, both in person and remotely, because that's very exciting that you can do remote healing, too.
3: Well, one of the things you've learned as a Reiki master is... There, there's a particular uh, symbol that you uh, draw out. And I draw it in the air sometimes, and then I will direct it to whatever client that I'm working with. And I'll have them either lie down or if, if, if they want to lie down, or they can just sit, you know. And if they have a pet, then um, what I do is I usually ask them to be with their pet. And I'll tell them, you know, to, Put your hands over this area or you know oh we always start with making a bridge of love from you know your heart to the pet and my heart to the pet and we triangulate that energy more or less and i call in the highest frequency of the healers that i can connect with and connect energetically at that level to make sure that i'm sending the energy to you and your pet and uh it's remarkable what happens because we're basically just channels of light Um, giving love Hmm. to transform into the healing that the animal and the person needs. What I love about Clubhouse is we have group dynamic in there so that when we're actually doing remote healing for the entire planet, it's amazing the stories that I've heard from people that they get healed from pains that they've been carrying for years. You know, so if you're open to the experience, that it's important that you join things that um, resonate with you mm-hmm. so you can be healed. And so you can help heal other people as well.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm, Thank so, you.
2: I'm so inspired. I know all our listeners will be inspired as well. Thank you so much, Cindy. Our Thank guest you. today on late boomers has been Cindy McGonigal, animal psychic, Reiki healer, author, plant expert, and catalyst for people to connect with their spiritual guides and angels. Thank you so much, Cindy.
1: And you can find Cindy on Clubhouse, of course, where she is a moderator and has an animal communicator club and an intuition activation club. And on her website, com, and on Instagram and on YouTube. Be sure to follow her on all her platforms so you don't miss out on anything. And please write to us on our website, lateboomers.biz, B-I-Z, and give us some feedback on our podcast. Also follow Late Boomers on Instagram and follow both of us individually, too, at I am Kathy Worthington and I am Mary Elkins. We aim to serve, inspire, and entertain you. Thank you for listening today, and thanks to our amazing guest today, Cindy McGonagall.
3: Thank you both. And thank you, the world, for whoever listens to this podcast. Please share it with your friends and your family. Um, Open your hearts. uh, Make a bridge of love to your animals, to your family members, and be open to receiving divine guidance from your highest source and your guardian angels. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
2: We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact.
0: Have you ever asked yourself this question, why is it so hard to make a buck? (laughs) I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. Go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.